Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Joining us today on Brand Story, Inc. is Kaya Yuryev who joined the information in April of 2021 to launch the Creator Economy newsletter, The Information, which you can check out at theinformation.com. It's founded by Jessica Lesson. It's an award-winning technology and business news service that has become one of the most critical tools for executives, investors, and professionals across all industries. Previously, Kyra covered technology and social media platforms at CNN, including an investigation into customers baiting Instacart workers, with false promises of large tips, which prompted four senators to call for an FTC investigation. Kaya has also written about YouTuber burnout, how parents are navigating their teens' sudden TikTok fame, and major brands inadvertently advertising on extremist YouTube channels, resulting in at least one company pausing advertising on the platform. She started her journalism career writing breaking news at The Street. Kaya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jay, for having me. Oh, so excited to have you here. I mean, I just, that that introduction, hearing all the different, I mean, I, I just was kind of giggling, thinking if we had said that sentence 15 years ago, how nonsensical it would be and how, <laughs> and today it's it's quite literally your daily beat. So, uh, so excited to have you here. And I want to start with a, a segment we call the origin story. Tell us the backstory of the information's origin story and your relatively recent work marriage focusing on the creator economy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just on the bio, I mean, I thought I would go into political journalism. So yeah. if you had told me my bio, you know, when, before I was getting started, I would have also been confused. Um, but it's been a really exciting beat. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Jessica Lesson uh, is a former Wall Street Journal reporter. She founded the information in late 2013. And it was really the idea of writing deeply reported articles about the tech industry that you wouldn't find anywhere else. Um, she was really early to the subscription-based model. A lot of uh, news outlets are now shifting to subscriptions. And what really drew me to the company is that it's really delivered on that mission. You know, the information is really known for its scoops and behind the scenes reporting about Silicon Valley and the business world. I really liked that reporters had these narrow beats or were focused on one company and were really able to go deep. And I think that's when you do really great journalism when you're super focused. And Jessica really saw a need for a dedicated reporter to cover the creator economy and write a newsletter devoted to the subject. So. That's where I entered to launch this newsletter and step into this new beat here. Well, two things about what you just shared that I love. First, 15 years ago, right, the information would have been viewed as a stepping stone to CNN. And now, as we talk about quite a bit here, you know, the the expertise in niche and value proposition of the information in the creator economy is, the destin- is a destination. And I love that. Um, and the second thing here is we've yet to really dig in on the creator economy, Um uh, and this is episode somewhere in the 80s. And I'm so excited because it's a term that gets bantered about all the time, increasingly more and more, even on phone calls I'm on with, with our team. And so let's start with the basics, the business model basics. How do you currently define the creator economy? Yeah, I mean, I hesitate to call it new, right? Because right. YouTubers have been around for a long time. I think YouTube has been paying uh, YouTubers with ad revenue sharing since 2007, right? And mm-hmm. we're in 2021 now. Right. But let's 
for, for, for sake of argument, we'll call it a relatively new model, basically where people with an online following can make money from their audience and their fans. And typically, they're also driving some sort of purchase. Commerce is really key here. Or they're influencing their audience in some way. That could be to travel to a certain destination or to buy a makeup brush or to encourage people to become paying subscribers to their newsletter. Uh, so that's really how I look at the creator economy. I think a few years ago, we mostly would have associated the word creator with a YouTuber or an Instagram influencer. But I think now the word is really starting to encompass more and more people. It can be an independent journalist writing on Substack, yep. or it could be a pastry chef on TikTok or an independent musician. So I think it's increasingly including more and more people and not necessarily just, you know, a TikTok star. Yeah, and I think it, to your point, probably the biggest news in the sports world in 2021 was the name, image, and likeness and enabling college athletes to become part of a creator economy, right? And so that's um, been one massive shift that's kind of helped the creator economy show up in areas like the sports world, where it was, to your point, already, but it's kind of been front page headlines. And so along those lines, I'm curious – through your point of view, how the creator economy has evolved during the pandemic and where you see things going as platforms seem to be fighting to court the top creators out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this industry is nothing new, but I think the pandemic accelerated things by many years mm -hmm. forward. Um, I think we've spent so much time online during the pandemic. You know, I was really reluctant to download TikTok before mm -hmm. the pandemic, and I kind of caved out of boredom. And now it's like, a major social platform that I use on a personal level, not just for my job. And I think that happened to a lot of people. And it also, you know, gave way to this whole new generation of creators who were born there. New formats such as live audio were formed by Clubhouse and then mm -hmm. copied by Twitter and Facebook. Um, and also, you know, out of necessity, brands had to turn to social media influencers for ads. Obviously, influencer marketing has been around for a long time, but advertisers saw budget cuts they couldn't access their production studios. Um, so out of kind of necessity, they turned to influencers. And eMarketer, which is a research firm, estimates that uh, influencer marketing on platforms like Instagram and YouTube is going to rise to $3.7 billion this year. That's up 34% from last year. And by mm. 2023, they, they expect spending to rise to $4.6 billion. So that's nearly double the level wow. of 2019 pre-pandemic. So you can see kind of the momentum there. Um, another thing that's important to note is that a lot of people lost jobs or were furloughed and mm -hmm. they turned to the creator economy and proved that they could kind of make a living there. I've talked to countless creators who were laid off and made a TikTok account and now have a million followers and they're not going back to corporate America. <laughs> you know, this is their new path. So, yeah, so that's those are kind of the main shifts there. And just TikTok in general has really exploded and upended a lot of uh, a lot of the creator economy because of the way that they've made it easy for the average person to go viral. And I think a lot of the social platforms are then reacting to that and saying, you know, it's not enough for us to just offer a place to build an audience. We have to roll out monetization. You know, every social media network at this point has a creator fund, tipping, and all these new monetization tools that didn't exist a year ago. Yeah, it's interesting. We, we spent a lot of time in my day job here at Teamworks, our teams do, trying to stay on top of trends. Um, just to, to help our clients to figure out which platforms to be on. And that and, and the plural in the word platform just seems to be growing and growing. And so you posted a recent article about the top revenue streams via brands by platforms from a NeoReach survey. And, and I'd love for you to share some highlights of what stood out to you from that survey. 
Yeah, it's always so tricky to find data on the creator economy because it's so fragmented. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so results are always going to vary a little bit depending on each creator on the platform. You know, a Twitch streamer is probably going to be making a lot of money from tips and subscriptions, while someone on Instagram is probably going to be, you know, more, more focused on branded content. But I think looking at these surveys is just a good benchmark and to kind of give a sense of, of what creators are making and how much they can make. Um, so NeoReach is an influencer marketing agency. Um, and they had two really interesting surveys. One that I wrote about was how creators make money. And mm -hmm. that survey showed that almost 80% rely on sponsored content. So that's by far, you know, the single highest revenue source. Mm -hmm. And then they also looked at individual earnings. So zooming out a little bit, the average income of creators in this survey, um, they surveyed creators who had above 100,000 followers. Um, they were mostly, it was a mix of Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, you know, Facebook, mm -hmm. I think it was heavily focused on Instagram, but the, the average income was about $100,000 a year. Wow. And the highest was $2 million. Wow. So that's like way, that's way higher than the U.S. median household income of 68000 but it's nowhere near kind of this image sometimes we associate with creators living in these L.A. mansions and TikTok collab houses, but it's a pretty good benchmark um, to look at. Um, and then the survey kind of found that on average, YouTube, on YouTube, they made the most money. So creators were making about $4,100 per month on YouTube. And on Instagram, that was a little lower at $3,800. Mm -hmm. um, it's important to note that that's not their total earnings, right? They could be doing cameos, they could have a newsletter, they could have a podcast, right, but right. just looking at the platform. So right. what really surprised me too was that personal blogs are like alive and well. We think of it kind of as maybe a relic of an older right. internet, but creators were making about $2,400 per month from blogs, from, from ads uh, running on their blogs in that survey, which was really interesting. And the TikTok number was pretty low. It was $1,600 a month. I think huh. part of that is because TikTok's creator fund payouts have been low in a lot of cases. Creators have been pretty open about that unless they've had a ton of viral videos. And, you know, sponsored content is obviously happening on TikTok, but it's still new. So um, I was, I was, um, I was interested in that number because it did seem a little bit low to me. You know, I, I, are there, I'll take YouTube, right? Because we could do this game all day long. <laughs> and we're going to talk about vanity metrics versus engagement here in a little bit. But for that 4100 average was there was there a cut line so to speak to use pga terminology or kind of a, a, a not a magic number but a, a, a floor of followers where on youtube you if you know if it's 100,000 200,000 half a million that you really see kind of the the revenue growth come in to truly be a creator or has it shifted? That's a good question. I, I don't know. The survey didn't go quite in depth. It's interesting because when I, I do creator spotlights in my newsletter once a week, mm -hmm. and the YouTubers that I've talked to have said that AdSense normally kind of ends up being like 10% of their income. I mean, obviously okay. it varies wildly, but I think creators are increasingly just diversifying their revenue so much, okay. and they do not want to put their eggs in one basket. So yes, they might make a lot of money from AdSense on YouTube, but they're not relying on that. They've seen the algorithm change. They've seen their earnings wildly fluctuate month to month. So yep. I think now they're really trying to find ways to own their audience or they're doing more brand sponsorships because those tend to be really lucrative. Um, so it's really a mix that I, I, it's rare for me to hear from a YouTuber that AdSense is like their major income and that's it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the brand marketers that I talk to subscribe to my colleagues' philosophies, which is like, the days of vanity metrics are gone and, you know, brand awareness lifts likely about after brands engage an influencer. But I'm curious, 
um, you know, we here talk quite a bit about engagement metrics. It doesn't matter if you've got 10 million followers, if you've, if you've got four people sharing your content, right? It's, it's really, we, we, like, for example, we handicap our success metrics around engagement metrics relative to competitive, comp, you know, the competitive circle. So I'm curious around success metrics from through your filter, what are the metrics you're seeing and how well-crafted partnerships are actually moving the needle for brands? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously we've seen likes are not as important anymore, just given by Instagram's test to get rid of them, right? They would never mm-hmm. get rid of a metric that, mm-hmm. that was, you know, key to engagement. Uh, I think followers still matter to some extent, but as you said, if you have a high number of followers and low engagement, that's probably not a good sign. Uh, the creators that I talk to are really looking at views, comments, saves, shares, you know, saves mm-hmm. and shares, I think are a, a better metric of, you know, either someone. Mm-hmm. Saving this to look at it later and go back to it, sharing it with a friend. I think video, there's been this explosion, obviously, with short-form video, so views have become really important. And I've also heard from creators that comments are, are really mm-hmm. important because that's where their community is interacting. So obviously, you don't want kind of low low quality comments like, oh, mm-hmm. so pretty or something. Mm-hmm. You know, you want people to be having discussions in the comments. So mm-hmm. I think all of those engagement metrics are a little bit more meaningful than someone, you know, double tapping or following. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also it kind of depends on what the brand's goal is, right? Like if they're trying to drive downloads of an app, for example, and they work with a bunch of TikTok stars to do that, then what's going to be important is how many people actually download the app. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're trying to, to, to drive conversions, you know, that's obviously another important metric. So they're going to have to look at click-through rates or, you know, how many people bought something through an affiliate link. So I think it depends on what the goal is and, and what, you know, and then the metrics will kind of follow that. I mean, some downloads of apps have been super popular on TikTok. I see a lot of TikTok stars encouraging that. Um, so I think it really depends on kind of what the brand's goal is. I mean, sometimes it's just general awareness and you're just flooding. Like I think about like fat, fat fit fun, which like was all over my feed for a long time. And they just blitzed, <laughs> you know, they blitzed all these, all these creators. And, and I think they succeeded with brand awareness, right? Mm-hmm. Because, because of that campaign. So I think it really depends. It's not a, a one size fits all answer. Right. And, and, to that point, right? You take something. I'll use the example of downloading apps. I'm assuming the, from the creator account, you know, from the creator's perspective, in this in this deal, it's like okay, fee for downloads, right? Could be really significant because that's a huge deal, as opposed to just hey, we're going to you know, sponsor content and put stuff on there and measure brand awareness. Like there's there's different value props. So I'm curious what you're seeing from, you know, are there certain things that um, are I would imagine the download or conversion to an actual transaction has got to be a pretty significant um, value prop for the creator. Yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely significant. I've also noticed that creators are definitely more savvy about which partnerships they're doing. I think mm-hmm. at the beginning, creators were just kind of, you know, obviously when you're monetizing, you need to make money mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you're going full time with this. But I think people are being more selective about partnering with brands, either that they actually use or that are relevant to their content. Um, oh, I just lost my turn of thought. Um, oh, and then the other thing too is 
brands and creators, I think, are it's more attractive for a creator to have a longer term partnership with a yeah. brand. So okay. you're seeing less of these one off campaigns. Yeah. So they're actually an ambassador for Delta or whatever brand it is, right. and they're doing six or seven posts throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also been a, a shift that I've seen as away from these one off campaigns yeah. and more with these longer term relationships, which I think, you know, I think it makes more sense. And then you keep seeing it with your followers and it just seems more genuine. So to that point, we're going to go to the next segment, which we call Case Study Deep Dive and, and building on what you just said. Give us a recent example of a well-executed brand influencer campaign that you've seen. Yeah. So I must say that a lot of these creators on TikTok are doing such a good job mm-hmm. with sponsored posts and integrating them super creatively with their videos. So I recently spotlighted this creator, Erin Miller, who is known for her kind of 90s and early 2000s nostalgia videos. Hmm. And she does these really kind of funny skits that as a millennial, I deeply relate to. Mm-hmm. So like she'll act out, you know, getting dumped over AIM or like having a sleepover and playing MASH, which was like a staple game for somebody, women who grew up in that time frame. Um, but she comes up with these creative skits and then integrates the brand in there. So she recently did a video about, you know, getting ready for the mall in 2006 and putting on these like layered shirts. And mm-hmm. she used um, mixed cosmetics products in the video. Mm-hmm. And halfway through, I didn't even realize it was an ad. So I think I'm noticing that more and more with TikTok of mm-hmm. just these creators are, you know, a lot of TikTok creators too have these characters that they play and then they bring the characters into the skit. So I think it's less like, one brand that I think is doing it well. I think the brands that are letting the creators just be themselves are the ones that succeed the most. Yeah, I saw one recently which was um, involved Demi Moore, I believe her daughter, Addie, right, for this whole, Mm -hmm. you know, fashion um, brand. And I thought it was brilliant because they did these billboards, right, old school tactics. They did these old, you know, billboards in, in Hollywood, but knowing that it was that Demi Moore ran with, you know, a pretty high profile that people were like, oh my God, they're like taking pictures and, and organically sharing like your daughter, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, and, and it was funny because they're talking like, yeah, that was pretty intentional. We thought that through. I was like, you know, so it, it's, <laughs> I, I loved it because it was kind of like old school, to your point of the example you just gave, this mix of kind of old school media tactics through the prism of the creator economy, right? And, and different elements to that. It's, it's pretty neat to see what's going on. So Career Club is our next segment here. You mentioned earlier you made the jump from scene and business where you were for four years to the information. Um, Which parts of the creator economy that you're covering now do you feel are the least known that should be by brand marketing and media publisher executives alike? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the darker side of the creator economy. Like, we should be writing more about burnout and the constant pressure to turn out content with kind of no end in sight. You know, mm-hmm. there's no PTO, there's no health benefits. And, you know, every once in a while, there's this big feature, and I've done them too on burnout, and mm-hmm. a lot of people talk about it, and then it kind of goes away until the, until the next story. So I think people just don't realize how much time and energy goes into this. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of the way these platforms are set up, I mean, TikTok, has done so many things well, but I think some of the downsides of how it's set up is you're never looking at your following tab. You're always looking at that for you page. So if a creator takes a break, you know, they're not showing up on someone's feed and they can risk, you know, becoming irrelevant mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and dropping off. And I think that's unique, um, unique really to TikTok um, because of the way people interact with the product. Hmm. Um, I think it's also important to kind of look at this middle class and part-time you know, part-time creators who aren't able to make a Mm -hmm. sustainable living on this and kind of what services can help them 
get to the next level. Um, I also make a point in my uh, creator spotlights to talk about what's on their wish list, you know, how they run their business. There's all these startups popping up in this space, but I think it's so important to hear from creators themselves of like what would actually be most helpful to them. Mm -hmm. So I think talking more to creators about that stuff. And whenever I talk to creators and ask them about like mental health or how they run their business, they're like, wow, like no one really asks me about mm -hmm. this. And I get such wildly different answers. So one creator I spoke to said that he like keeps all his receipts in a literal shoebox. <laughs> and that's how he's organized and and some creators are just like yeah i don't need like a software system like i just have my excel spreadsheet and it works and other people are like oh i would love something to to organize you know my finances better so yep. um so i think all those topics are are less covered yeah it's interesting is there is mental health and business administration are those two of the top emerging trends when you ask creators about the wish list yeah, I mean, it's funny because I get such different answers sometimes. Like one creator told me she would love like some sort of chat room product where she can chat with other creators. Another mm -hmm. person told me they would love, you know, some sort of marketplace to connect them with nonprofits where they could help mm -hmm. with causes. So it really is unique. But I think I think monetization is a big one, too. Like people want people are trying to make more money. I, I think, yeah, I think help with back-end office tasks, help with taxes. You know, a lot of people have, have tax accountants, but I think I think if there was like a service for for people that know how to do taxes for creators specifically yeah. would probably be really useful. Kaya, like I, we, you just rattled off four new business ideas and me being an entrepreneur, <laughs> I'm like writing them down. I'm like, we're giving away the goods here, right? For people listening. But I'm like, but seriously, it's interesting. Like I, I do want to follow up on one point there. Are there certain places where the creators are going to convene? Is there a dominant place that they're going to have these kind of like B2B business conversations? Because they're a little bit on an island, many of them, right? And so who are they, how are they connecting and sharing? Are they just, are there, are there subreddit groups? Are they on Snap? So I've heard a little bit of Discord servers. So some creators have Discord servers. I know um, some Snap creators have are, are chatting on discord so i think discord has kind of emerged as a popular platform i mean there are you know i know a lot of creators have facebook groups for like their fans mm -hmm. i don't know that there is a great you know that there's mm -hmm. a default way i think a lot of it is just kind of creators networking among themselves too mm -hmm. and reaching out to other creators directly awesome well the, there's another business for the information to jump in you can be that platform for creators to convene <laughs> you can glean then all the insights and information and there we go look at us creating businesses on the fly. All right, so to that end, Crystal Ball, what are the next six to 12 month trends within the creator economy that seem rather no brainers to be coming down the pipeline from your perspective? Yeah, I and mean, I think we're just gonna continue to see an explosion of startups and investor funding flowing into the space. I mean, mm -hmm. I think at, at some point we're gonna see that taper off, but right now we're really in the thick of it. I mean, in the, in the first six months of this year, uh, the information found that just in the U.S., more than $2 billion has been invested in creator economy startups, and that was just halfway through the year. Mm. And there's been so many stories of founders who aren't even looking for funding, but there's so much interest from investors. So I think we're going to see, we're, we're already seeing it, but I think by the end of the year, we're going to see a long list of startups in the creator economy that have raised money twice this year, maybe even three wow. times. Um, and I think we're just going to see continued announcements from social networks about creators and new features and, and other content. I think eventually there's going to have to be some consolidation, especially in startups. There's 
you know, dozens of Lincoln bio startups, for example. So I'm curious if there will be kind of any M&A activity there. But I have a deals and debuts section in my newsletter, and it is always popping. There's always new launches of creator economy startups and funding deals. So I don't expect that to slow down anytime soon. So I want to talk about one that um, your coverage, right, your, your newsletter, which I get, uh, popped up. Uh, we're taping this at the very end of August in 2021. It popped up um, a couple days ago, and I kind of slapped my the emoji right of the uh, the the, for, the slap to the forehead, and it was human IPO. And I would love for you to explain <laughs> uh, human IPO because that in the world of crystal ball, this to me seemed like oh my god, the, this day has actually come. I've always <laughs> joked about it happening, but here it was. So tell people about Human IPO and what you wrote about. Yeah, so, so it's really this idea of investing directly in creators. It's almost like investing in a startup, right? Like it's a chance to bet on kind of the future success of an internet personality. And we're seeing this, and I'll get to Human IPO in a, sec- in a second, but we're seeing this in various forms. So uh, Creative Juice is a startup that is, cutting checks of up to $250,000 to individual creators who they kind of identify as, you know, this YouTube channel is going to be really big and I'm going to, you know, help with them. And then I'm going to get a, a mm-hmm. portion of their revenue, you know, mm-hmm. over a certain period of time. Um, and then we have human IPO, which kind of takes that to a different level. So <laughs> it's conceived as this ex- kind of exchange that lets you buy and sell shares of people but it's less black mirror it's less black mirror than it sounds um it's really more about gaining access to people so if you buy x amount of shares in this person you can redeem those shares for a 60 minute virtual meeting with them if they're a singer you can be the first one to listen to their new song so that's it's really more about kind of the access to them than mm-hmm. <laughs> you know this, this this kind of concept of owning them right so um, but it's a true yeah, marketplace yeah. exchange though right i mean like you you mentioned pele and i think it was like ten thousand dollars per share or something like that yeah. and yeah and the, but there's a true there's an actual market exchange where the value of Pele went up a couple percentage points. So if you own that share, it was, you know, worth 8% more, whatever the number was a couple days later, which actually has monetary, it, it, can you actually trade on it? Yeah, so you can sell shares. <laughs> um, I think it's more about the redeeming of them, but yeah, absolutely, you okay. can sell shares. I think if you're if you want to get more into the transactional nature, that's more the social token space. So mm-hmm. there's services like Rally where where creators are making their own social token or creator yep. coins. So I could have a Kaya coin, you know, we could have a J coin. And, you know, those go up in value as more people buy and they also can decline. So you're kind of tracking that creator's value in real time as well. So how much is a share of Kaya and and can I invest? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> I, don't have a, I don't have a Kaya coin. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna uh, home stretch here, flip to the uh, the personal side, and um, I'm particularly interested on somebody who, what's called morning must, where we get you to fess up on your email inbox, your social files, and kind of your morning routine of how you attempt to stay on top of the industry news. It's particularly interesting to me to somebody like you who quite literally is doing that on mass for for um, the creator economy. So how how do you do it? How do you stay on top of everything? Where do you go? So my biggest secret is Google Alerts, which sounds so basic, but it has been so essential to me. I have so many keywords set up, and I look through that multiple times a day, and it 
what I like about it is that, of course, I go to kind of the main news sources you would expect, like New York Times and Wall Street Journal, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really surfaces a lot of stuff I wouldn't see normally. Mm-hmm. So, like, local news reports. So, yesterday, uh, yesterday I wrote a, a newsletter on um, local governments paying creators to promote tourism. And I never would have picked up on that without seeing local news reports about it. Mm-hmm. So, that's been a really essential source for me. Of course, I'm on Twitter throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I get, I read a lot of newsletters, especially in the morning. I get several from Axios. I read the Bloomberg Tech Newsletter, New York Times. One of my favorite newsletters, actually, the New York Times has one that's called The Great Read. Mm -hmm. And it just surfaces a great piece of long-form journalism every day. Mm -hmm. So that's less for my job, but just for for me, where it's stories that I totally would have missed. Um, And they highlight some really, really great stories. great stories there um embedded on Substack is a great one for keeping up on internet trends and culture embedded um, did you say i don't know that embedded one. yeah okay yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a great one yeah um and i think yeah it, on twitter i'm really just scrolling through i mean yep. obviously i follow individuals but i think it's just kind of the aggregate yeah um i also look at like pr newswire because there's a lot of funding announcements there and funding mm-hmm. rounds that i would miss especially from kind of smaller companies that maybe aren't um, getting as much coverage or some of the seed deals aren't covered as much, but a lot of seed activities happening in the creator economy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's part of my process. I mean, my email inbox is such a mess. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, All right, fess up. What's the number me? in the lower left? How many you got? How okay, many you got in your so inbox? I, I'll, I'll beat it you. It doesn't sound that bad. I have 78 right now. But 78 like, total or thousand? No, 78. Oh, like, I, I have 38,000. By the way, Kaya. But I've, I'm a zero inbox person. So yeah. 78 for me is really like heart palpitation. <laughs> so when I just told you, I have 38,000. How does that make you feel? Oh my gosh. I would just, I would just, yeah, like I, I, my, my thing that I never get to is at the end of Friday, it's like clean out email inbox since Monday morning. And let me tell you which to do list item gets moved over to the next week. Yeah, 38,000. So don't feel wow, bad. That's a lot. I yeah. know. I know. I'm also, you know, yeah. I've got maybe a little bit more, um, you know, candle burned on the career than you at this point. So, you know, that's 78. Watch out. It might get to 100 before you know it. Uh, I know. Well, I, I got to say, you've be- quickly become uh, one of my morning musts, so I appreciate what you're doing. There's no one covering the creator economy like you. So share with um, our listeners the best way for them to um, connect with you and get the newsletter. Yeah, so let me pull up. I should really know this by heart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me pull up. With the... Okay, so. It's information.com slash newsletters slash creator dash economy. You can also Google my name. I have a unique name, so you will mm-hmm. find me. Um, you can find me on Twitter, too. My handle is at KUREF, and I also have the newsletter um, linked in my bio. And I will put all of this information in the show notes, which you can find on our content hub at uh, for Brand Story Inc., which is at teamworksmedia.com. You'll have all the links to be able to track Kaya down and and all the things she just talked about. So final question for you, just for fun, what book is on the bedside book stand? What are you reading for fun? Okay, so I'm an avid reader. (laughs) I love all genres. I recently have been reading a lot of fiction. Last year I read 50 books. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, this year I'm aiming for 25. Just because the the newsletter is, you know, I'm in a new job and I have 
a little less time to devote to, to reading, but I just finished The Commonwealth by Ann Patchett, which I really loved. Mm. Um, I also love reading just long-form journalism, so sometimes I'll do that before bed. I recently read a really incredible piece in the Atlantic about 9-11 as we approach that anniversary, so mm. I really, I I love books. What was the, com- <laughs> what was the Commonwealth about? I'm not familiar with that. What was that about? So it was about, um, it was like a multi-generational story of families. So these two families have an affair and then it kind of goes through how it affected all these kids and mm-hmm. it spans through all all these different years. And it was a really, it was a really beautiful book. Awesome. Well, Kaya Uriel, thank you so much for spending some time with us to talk about the creator economy. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc., We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.